Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik, fellas. It's hand measuring season once again. Thank God we're here. Senior Bowl underway in Mobile, Alabama, and we're being treated to some nice hand picks free of charge, free of charge, okay? Michael Penix Jr. <laughs> was showing off these bad boys right here as you, man, that's a good looking hand. Look at that hand. Getting a look at that for free. At least they're not toes. Yeah, well, you'd have to pay extra for those. Okay, so guys are standing by right now with our special guest who is covering all of the good hand measuring, hand showing off stuff that we are being treated to right now. Oh. God. Yeah, no, this is a, a, a very wonderful time of year, and we're delighted right now. Our good buddy Trevor Sikama, kind enough to join us, the lead draft analyst over at Pro Football Focus, has been down in Mobile. And, and Trev, does this is this like the first day of, of training camp? Like, for the rest of us, it always felt like football season when you're putting on the pads for the first time or getting the helmet. Is showing up down in Mobile now when it officially feels like draft season to you? Yeah, I, I think so, absolutely. Um, this is... You know, it was it was funny. We, we, we do a lot of film reviews of people. We're, we're watching a ton of tape beforehand. We're doing the draft guy. We're updating the big board. We've got the mock draft simulator at PFF. But then for Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl, it's like you get on location and then just that first crack of the pads that you actually hear in person, you're like, oh, this is it. Like, this is actually it. This is what it's all about. So, yeah, really good group down here in Mobile and Senior Bowl. One of the most talented rosters on paper even before the week began that uh, I can remember in a long long time and it has definitely lived up to the billing and we do have the rule change where juniors now can play in the game that used to not be the case so uh, we have some down there including some we'll talk about I think Michael Hall Jr. the kid from Ohio State has been performing well he was an underclassman but let's start at the position where everybody wants to start and that's the quarterback position it seems the quarterback play has been inconsistent so talk about the ones especially the ones we know, the Michael Penix Juniors, the Bo Nixes of the world, and how that's all going. Yeah, I think that first and foremost, I think when you look at these guys, it's it, it's great to get a look at them throwing one after the other. That's a really valuable part of being here at the Senior Bowl because it, it it's kind of you it can get lost in the shuffle when you watch a guy's tape over and over and over and over again. You get very used to how they throw and uh, what their arm power is like. And you can kind of convince yourself one way or the other, like, okay, we think he does have a really good arm. Okay. Maybe it's not so great, but it's when you stack him up against his peers that you really get a good look at what that might be. And I say that to start to point out Michael Penix has the best arm here. I feel, I mean, when it comes to velocity and pushing the ball down the field, 
No, it hasn't been pinpoint accurate, but there have been a couple of times where he's he's feeding it right in between zone coverage or he's looking to take a deep shot and just that ball just rockets off of his hand. He's got longer arms. He's got a little bit longer of a release and unorthodox throwing motion. But when that ball gets to the point where he's releasing it out of his wrist, it is a rocket. And I think you can totally see that here in Mobile. When it comes to Knicks, I don't think he's wowed, but I don't think he's really disappointed either. I've talked to some people who have been saying, like, ah, man, I was looking to see more, but other people were saying, man, he's been really consistent. So I'm kind of in the middle, but I lean more towards that consistency part of it. There's only so much that you can do in practice. You know, they're running a lot of install stuff. They're trying to get the offense figured out. And so a lot of it is those shorter passes. And I feel like I've seen in a couple of different instances the different arm angles, uh, where he's looking with the ball, how quick he has been. He's taking those reps with the first team. So I do think accuracy-wise, it feels like Bo Nix is kind of a step above. Uh, and then when you look at some of the other quarterbacks, just in the other group, because Penix and Nix are on the same team, so it's been great to see them one after the other. Joe Milton's got a cannon of an arm, but it's the same story, just not as accurate as he, it is needed to be. So that has not impressed as much as you have wanted to see. I think Spencer Rattler is playing well. Um, but again, he is somebody who hasn't been pinpoint accurate for him. Not that the weeks have been, not that the week has been bad for Spencer Rattler. I think he has had some good throws and you know, Jim Nagy going into the week was saying, Hey, Spencer Rattler is going to get drafted a lot higher than people in draft media seem to think he is. And we've kind of had him right around that third, fourth round range on our big board for a long time. Now, I still think that that's probably where the range is for him, but he's people who think, Oh, Spencer Rattler, he's, he's an afterthought. He's not going to get drafted. You know, think about the Oklahoma days, how he left there. That's not the case with him anymore. He's a different guy since he's been at South Carolina. And uh, I think he's proving that probably in the interview process as well. So that's kind of where uh, we have the quarterbacks pegged in, in, uh, in the senior bowl. So uh, the quarterbacks are going to be an interesting discussion. The two best quarterbacks in the class that we know in Drake May and Caleb Williams, obviously not down there and going to be a part of this going forward. But uh, Trevor, outside of the quarterbacks, what's been in your mind the deepest position that we've seen going to work down in Mobile so far? There's a lot of really good wide receivers in this class in general, and we thought that they were going to be able to stand out in Mobile, and and I really think they are. I mean, you look at guys like Roman Wilson and, and Ricky Pearsall, who it feels like they've been uncoverable. It's, and it's a class that there's so many of these smaller receivers. You know, you could throw Anaya Smith in there as well. Going back to the Shrine Bowl, Taj Washington, Malik Washington, and you watch all these guys on tape and you go – Man, there can't be this many like potential impact smaller wide receivers in this class, but there are. There, there genuinely are, and I think I've, I've got so many second, third round grades on so many of these players because they're separation artists. And and here we have, I think, two very, very good ones in Ricky Pearsall from Florida and Roman Wilson from Michigan. And they're kind of winning in a little bit of different ways. Pearsall is more of that intermediate and underneath type of route runner separator, but he's tough as nails at the catch point. I think you see that as well. Where Roman Wilson is. That vertical speed, that 4-3 track speed from his background, you know, what we saw at Michigan, especially over the last year, using him as a deep threat, he was winning consistently on day one with a lot of those vertical routes. And uh, it's tough to do when DBs know they don't want to get beat. They don't want to get put on a highlight reel. And even though they're still kind of learning the installs and the, the chemistry of the coverage of the guys that they're working with here, those two players to me really stood out in a group that is super deep. I mean, it just feels like, you can name all sorts of different wide receivers, you know, Tez Walker, Lad McConkey, like they're, they're Xavier Leggett. There's so many guys in this group that have had the opportunity to make plays and some have made more than others, but those two to me, Pearsall and Wilson are the ones that are standing out from a really, really deep position. 
So the, the, the practice week here seems so much more important than the game where the scouts are watching the practice. So when people are watching the practice, Trev, what, what drills in your mind, do you think in the scouts' mind, do they hang their hat more on than other drills? Yeah, I mean, I do think that it comes down to those one-on-ones, right? And certainly how quickly you pick up a lot of the install work, I think is a valuable part of this senior bowl. You know, what were you like on day one? Were you able to pick it up quickly? And if you are able to pick it up quickly, okay, that's a good sign that that means a lot that you means you take to coaching very, very quickly, or maybe you're just that naturally talented. But as the week goes on, sometimes a lot of progression in that area is also seen as a positive. So for the guys that are a little bit more of a slow burn, as long as you end the week good, I think that, uh, I think that that can mean a lot into, what these coaches think of you when it comes to the teaching. Okay. How, because we talk about that all the time, right? We could look at guys who are physically gifted and we say, Oh, you know, when he gets the NFL, he'll just learn, you know, more hand, hand moves and, and, and where the, where, where to place his hands in, in run blocking or pass rushing or how to get off press or how to press, whatever it is. And it's not always that simple, right? Some guys pick it up um, better than others. And so being able to see that progression, I think is really, really important. But then going back to my original answer, those one-on-ones are so, so important because even though it's, it's skewed a little bit more towards you know, pass rushers on the O-line, D-line side and wide receivers on the wide receiver DB side, it's competitive, man. And that's what football is all about. It's, it's about going up against somebody that's right in front of you and being better than them. And that doesn't mean that it's always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're always going to have those clean wins, but they want to see these guys compete. And of course, the ones that are the best are going to be able to dominate pretty early and consistency consistently throughout the week. So to me, I always love those one-on-one periods, not only because it gets social media buzzing and it's a lot of fun to get those clips out there and have that engagement with people who care about the draft, but to me, being able to see what a guy is like just going head up against somebody tells you a lot about their mental makeup as an athlete and what they can be as a pro. You mentioned the O-line, D-line, one-on-one specifically. Obviously, this so skews in favor heavily of the Hosses. And, and I think in general, a lot for a lot of people right now around NFL circles, fans of NFL teams, there's been a lot of conversation about the lack of offensive line depth around the league, the lack of quality development at this position overall. And I know especially with tackle, this is viewed as a pretty deep class and one with a lot of real high-end talent here. So from what you've seen in the trenches so far on the offensive side this week, who are some names that fans that are hoping their NFL team can cure that problem that they're having up front should keep an eye on coming out of this week. Yeah, I can't believe we made it this far into the segment before you specifically <laughs> asked about the trench players. I really am. I thought that that was going to be the fastball down the pipe right off the bat. But no, that, honestly, that's been the funnest part of this week is watching these O-linemen and D-linemen the tackles. Man, Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma has all the tools in the world. It, it is such a athletically gifted offensive tackle class. you got so many guys who are great movers. Uh, Olu Fashano from Penn State, Joe Alt from Notre Dame, and, and just the list goes on and on as you get throughout the, the, the offensive tackle rankings. But I'm telling you, Tyler Guyton, to me, not even close. The most athletic one in a very athletic class. He's a former tight end, former defensive end. He just moves so, so well. What I loved seeing from him this week is, okay, it's kind of the same strengths and weaknesses that we saw from his film at Oklahoma. He's a one-year starter. You know, it, the hand placement isn't really there. Sometimes it's way too wide. Sometimes he's more of a shover than he really is a blocker, getting hands on guys and not letting them go. But hyper-competitive dude. He knew that Chris Braswell from Alabama, the edge rusher, 
was probably the highest ranked player that he was going to go up against in practice. And you could visibly see him like, I want this dude. Like, I want to go up against this dude. He ended up giving him a high five before their first rep and afterwards. And he's just, he's somebody who likes to go to work, gets pumped up about how good uh, that, that, that he can be. Uh, and I think that progression from him. So he's somebody that everybody's got to look out for. Talize Fuaga from Oregon State. I mean, that's my dude. I- I've loved this dude since I first got eyes on him really in September and October. He plays with so much power, but his feet are really light. Is he as flexible in his kick slides as maybe like Olu Fashano or Joe All? No, not quite, but he understands his landmarks. He understands how to get to him, cut off some of those speed rushers, and when he gets hands on you, man, it's over. So those, I think, are the two top first-round caliber offensive tackles that we have in this class. But another guy I really want to shout out is Christian Jones from Texas. Longtime starter, fifth-year player, 48 starts under his belt at Texas. And you go, okay, hey, experience is great. Why didn't you go to the league sooner? Like, what's up with that? Because if you were a starter for that long, why didn't the league come calling a little bit sooner for you? And so there's a little bit of lack of natural athleticism and inflexibility with him, but so smart. The feet are married with the hands, the shoulder movements, everything. He is just so in sync body-wise to where when guys try to come into his chest, not only does he handle that contact well, he knows where his hands need to shoot. And there have been a couple of times where, man, it's just been vice grips. Like, guys have not been able to get off, and he's had some of the most impressive one-on-one reps there. So from the offensive tackle specifically, those guys I feel like are the ones who are standing out a lot to me. So let's go to the athletes in the defensive uh, line and that side of the ball. Uh, you know, you look – and, and we, I know we talk about edge rushers all the time, but interior D-line, I, I mentioned his name before, Michael Hall, the kid from Ohio State, an underclassman, showed well on the one-on-one pass rush, got the guard in space at times, which doesn't happen all the times, but looked good in those. But he's six, what, three, two eighty. Are we going to see more of that, more of the – Aaron Donald type size guys playing on the interior because of their quickness. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, not that it's going to be an immediate change, but um, you guys have seen the, the change in just football overall. You know, whether it's you've been coming from, uh, I think we first saw this, you know, in the Pac-12 and the Big 12, just lighter offensive and defensive linemen overall, more spacing, more speed. And I think that has kind of crept into, now we see a lot of that in the ACC and the SEC and even in the Big 10, which has been more, known more as like this big power, almost last throwback type of brand of football. But you even see a guy like Michael Hall from Ohio State. This is a player who is, like you mentioned, lighter than normal interior defensive lineman at the next level, but can really give you a lot of value as that pass rush specialist type of player. And there were a handful of reps on day two, uh, Wednesday, that were really impressive from him. You know, whether it was a spin move or an arm over or a club rip or he, I mean, he's just his quickness against these guys was really impressive. And he was another person who was highly competitive. The motor was running hot. He had a couple of pass breakups as well in the scrimmage period. So you love to see that. And uh, just, yeah, to your point, I think that here at the Senior Bowl, there's another guy, uh, Braden Fisk from Florida State, who is another sub 300 Mm. interior defensive lineman. Now he's more 295. So that's a little bit closer to what you want, but he's kind of that same way. He wins with ultra quickness and just a, an ability to get across the face and shoot into a gap. And we saw that in one-on-one. He's some, some of the most impressive one-on-one reps of, of anybody at this, at this practice. And so that's kind of what you want to see from those lighter guys. You've got to be able to win, win very, very quickly. And I think they do. And I believe that you look at examples. I know this is the easy one to, to look to, but Kalijah Kansi from the Buccaneers, right? He comes out last year and just mm. such an outlier in size. And you go, what do you do with this guy? I love his film. He's a better run defender than you think he's going to be at that weight. But you go, man, 
NFL, you know what they say, big people beat up little people, right? And so when you're a little bit smaller, you have these question marks for you. But he had a fantastic year in Tampa Bay as a rookie, really strong finish to the season. And I think he, just as much as, you know, Aaron Donald is the example that everybody goes to, but I think Cansey himself is another more new age example of C, this can work at the NFL level. And I think you're going to see teams be more open to taking guys who a little bit smaller, maybe a little bit more specialist, but ones that can create a lot of value. Yep, got to see the ball go through the basket for a lot of NFL personnel before you're willing to take some more risks on guys that have been more outliers when it comes to that physical profile. And that's something that a lot of times, too, can apply to small school guys who, for this week especially, the guys that don't come from bona fide Power 5 schools who are going against this competition week in and week out, it's always a huge opportunity for them. Have there been a couple of small school guys, Trev, that have stuck out to you from this week that have a chance to kind of be those either, you know, not even draft diamonds because they're guys in Mobile, they're good players, but names that most NFL fans wouldn't have known coming right from the college game. Man, it's it, this isn't a small name because he because he played at Louisville and he played at Florida State beforehand. But I just I don't think enough people are talking about Jarvis Brownlee Jr., who is the cornerback from Louisville. Who, like I said, he was a transfer from Florida State. Shoot, I, I cover the draft and I didn't know a ton about him going into this event. He had one of the most dominant coverage days that I've seen in a while at a Senior Bowl yesterday and I think that he is somebody who was really really flashing uh he he had three reps in a row against one-on-one wide receiver situations where not only did he win the rep not only did he play coverage really well his coverage was so tight he could have intercepted the ball all three times he didn't come up with an interception but like it was coming off of his hand he was right there for it so he's somebody who not a small school guy but somebody that I definitely want to shout out I don't know if people consider Quinion Mitchell a small school guy anymore because he's been talked about as a first round player but holy cow guys Anytime you talk about a, a player from Toledo going as high as Queen Don Mitchell could, which beginning of the week started off, all right, maybe fringe first round guy, you know, early second round uh, or, or, or late first round, had a fantastic first day, had a lockdown day again with a couple of interceptions, at least one that I saw on yesterday's practice. And now we're talking about a cornerback from Toledo, maybe being the first corner taken in the draft over some studs that we've had from Clemson and Alabama and Missouri and these guys that are competing for that title this year. So those are two guys, I think, from defensive back that pop into my head very quickly as names that I really wanted to shout out that not a lot of people maybe know. Just maybe about a a minute left. I'll put you on the spot here. How many quarterbacks go in the first round of this draft? Five. So we'd have have Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, uh, and then I think J.J. McCarthy's probably going to make it in there. The league just seems to be really, really high on him and his potential, his progression over the last couple of years. And then I do kind of think that one of Bo Nix and Michael Penix make it. So I think that I think that the magic number is five. I really do. It's, wow. it's going to be something to watch. And I know they are fond of this saying down there, the draft starts in Mobile. And it certainly has started revving the engine for everybody this week, including you, Trev. So we appreciate the time, brother. Enjoy that last day of practice today. I know we'll all be watching that. We'll be checking out the game and uh, looking forward to the rest of your work as we head into one of the most enjoyable times of the year, baby. It's draft season. I appreciate you guys. Anytime. Thanks, man. Hey, Mike. Awesome stuff. Again, you can check out Trev, the lead draft analyst over at Pro Football Focus. Sorry, go ahead, Dad. How about this? Last year, the wide receivers, some of the wide receivers that played in this game that went on to be rookies, uh, obviously, this year in the NFL. And it's been the last few years we've seen rookie receivers start to make an impact. It hadn't been that way always. Jaden Reed, who led Green Bay as a rookie, 
in receiving. Tank Dell, who had obviously a big year with C.J. Stroud in Houston before he got hurt. Rasheed Rice, who is the go-to wide receiver uh, on the Kansas City Chiefs. And, oh, a guy who just set about every rookie record you could receiving, Puka Nakua, was in that game as well. So you want to talk about some power in that game that went on to really produce right away in the NFL, and that's what NFL fans of their teams are looking for is those types of players. Yeah, and you're right. The hit rate is happening more and more often. I think you can point to a lot of great coaching that they ended up around. All those players you mentioned ended up in some really strong environments in terms of their offensive coaching. But this is something that's been talked about a lot. That's a trickle up all the way from high school. These guys in seven-on-seven culture around the sport mean they are getting reps and reps and reps over and over that outpace anything that could have happened before in the way that the sports evolved from the high school level on up and uh, all the way up now to the uh, pre-draft work that's getting started in mobile this week we'll keep an eye on all of it as we march towards the nfl draft which seems like it's already coming up around the corner all right guys let's talk about jaegermeister they could have written a totally normal ad here like a really classic ad they could have talked about their history the 56 botanicals it could have been all salesy and cutesy but they know you don't care Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Uh, Zach Rosenblatt and Diana Russini, friend of the program of The Athletic, wrote an article that ran Wednesday morning Detailing the systematic issues inside the New York Jets organization, collecting data from what the writers said were 30 sources in and around the organization. Fellas, an all-encompassing article. Did we learn anything new or was it mostly confirming a lot of what we already thought we knew? Yeah, Dad, I'm curious for your read on this because most of this I read seemed like, and listen, Diana's been nails on a lot of this stuff. She's done really good reporting on this, so not surprised that it's this in-depth, but this sounds like the Jets to me, right? An organization that outside of Aaron Rodgers really does not have their bleep together, but at the same time, if I'm asking myself coming off reading this and coming off seeing what we saw this season, does a lot of this go away if Aaron Rodgers is just healthy and on the field? My answer tends to be yes, because I think the reaction that we saw when he was in the building there and even in this article when he came back late in the season, there were a lot of guys in and around the team that remarked the same thing. It's like, man, you saw what we were capable of with him there. So as long as they get the offensive line stuff worked out personnel-wise, I do think a lot of this is stuff that goes away, provided he's just healthy in the way you banked on to begin with. So every team goes through some adversity of some type through every season be it injury or whatever a situation arises. We saw, you know, Debo Samuel and Trent Williams go out with injuries. San Francisco lose three straight. 
<laughs> we see Philadelphia start out at 10 and one, has some injuries, start playing bad. You just, you just see that happen. And the big question is, how do you adjust? San Francisco gets their players back. They look like the team they thought they were, and we'll get to see them all next week in Las Vegas. You look at Philadelphia, they did not adjust uh, very well to this. Bottom line is the players didn't execute on the field like they did the year before, and they basically folded in the playoffs. The Jets, absolutely, I mean, you talk about a wheel coming off. The wheels fell off of the Jets. Four plays into the season. And, and we've seen injuries before, and we've seen injuries in training camp to big-time players. But so much was made of this, and understandably so. A walk-in Hall of Famer sure. leaving a team he's been on for 100 years, going to another team. It's not like it hasn't happened before, but he's the latest iteration of that. And everything that went around that and the expectation of Jet fans, you know, now I'm speaking right to Stugatz, Stugatz of, of basically saying, wait, could this really be happening? But they always look at the glass cracked instead of half full, came to realization four plays into the season. So basically what I can say about this, Mike, is how did you adjust? What did you do from, from top to bottom? What was the adjustments? And it doesn't sound like the adjustments were there. Uh, pick any aspect you want from the Nathaniel Hackett brought in specifically uh, because he worked with Aaron Rodgers before, you know, in the article talking about how he doesn't adjust you know, to now not having Aaron Rodgers instead of doing what might be best for one of the other quarterbacks that is out there, didn't adjust. Now, again, this is all from the article and from, again, 30 sources that they have. So, you know, it, it, seem, it, it certainly sounds pretty in-depth about what they talk to. And, and stuff like this, I can tell you for a fact, it goes on in locker rooms. Turmoil does happen, and it can bleed over onto the field. And this team just fell apart. I think Hackett's the one that comes out looking the worst in this article, right? There were multiple, co according to this article, multiple coaches and players described Hackett as lacking attention to detail. They said for most of the season, he would meet with the O-line coach and running coordinator, Keith Carter, and the passing coordinator, Todd Downing, during the week, but wouldn't get together with the rest of the offensive staff until last-minute game prep here for a team that, again, and I think this is the tough part, Dad, as we spin this forward, is... It's tough for Nathaniel Hackett to have a lot of credibility in the building if this is all the case because he comes off of the historically bad tenure with the Denver right. Broncos in that one-year season. And then this year without Aaron Rodgers, you've got these questions about him. We've seen he's an interesting personality type. Him and Rodgers' relationship seems to be the main reason he's here. And after a season where without Rodgers, you were dead last in third down conversions, red zone offense, and total EPA, 31st in yards, 30th in offensive points per game, 30th in pass yards they scored 10 touchdowns in their first 12 games as an offense this season and then had 18 in total in the 17 games overall anywhere else and in any other situation you probably get fired for that and instead he's going to be back because while this article wanted to paint Aaron Rodgers as the actual GM and kind of talked about how he pulled the strings on so many of the guys going over there, I think it's more clear Aaron Rodgers is the offensive coordinator of this team. And so that does, I think, make it difficult if things go wrong and Nathaniel Hackett's asked to go out there and put the hammer down for that to really be effective given the background and the picture that's painted here. Yeah, listen, I, I, in all honesty, I'm <clears throat> surprised they won seven games. 
give a lot of credit to the defenses, right? This was the third-ranked defense yeah. in oh, the God. league. I think the second-ranked defense against the pass. Now, they weren't very good against the run, something they'll have to improve upon, but they were the side of the ball that everybody was talking about why this marriage was going to work. Now, our offense is going to be good with Aaron. We know we have a great defense, and they only had that throughout the year, and a lot of pressure got put on them. So, listen, there'll be a lot of pressure again next year, and I agree about Nathaniel Hackett if, if you know, we're reading – uh, what went on there if he's not meeting with other parts as much uh, from the offense as others and if there wasn't uh, a lot of adjustment going on I know the article talks about how the relationship with Wilson and Rogers kind of drifted apart after Rogers got hurt because remember he was away from the team for a while while he was rehabbing in the beginning but that's expected we have always said that and we all know that Mike as players when you get hurt you're a ghost you're not there anymore now Aaron would come back and he's such a big part of the team that even though he's not playing, he's going to be headlined a lot, shots on the headline with the headsets on and what kind of information is he's giving. Most players, when they're hurt and not playing, they disappear and you never hear from them again, but not with Aaron Rodgers. He's going he's gonna to stay in the headline. So, yeah, this was from top to bottom, this just wasn't handled well. They didn't seem to have a plan, and you got – one kind of talk at one one week, three weeks later, you got a different kind of talk from the head coach and Robert Sala. It was just ugly. And you can give it a little bit of, well, we get it because you banked everything on, you know, Aaron Rodgers and he got hurt. I mean, it's almost like the, the, the old, not completely, but the old Colt teams, right? When they had no disrespect, though, whenever you say no disrespect, it's disrespect. When Curtis Painter was the backup to Peyton Manning, basically sure. Bill Polian, and the GM was like, we're building this team around Peyton Manning. If we lose him, we're done. And we know it. And we know we're done. That was kind of what went on in Green Bay without them really admitting that they were done and saying, okay, well, we have Zach Wilson, a guy that used to be, you know, the man here or trying to be the man here. So we'll continue on with him. And it just... It's just wobbly wheeled from, from week one on. I, and I think you're right, especially when the drop-off is – because the gravity's different around a Hall of Fame quarterback and the allowances and what you're going to do in making the offense tailored to specifically what he wants. Aaron Rodgers is an offense in and of himself, and it was that way for yep. Drew Brees and Sean Payton in New Orleans for years where Drew was the offense. Drew controlled everything in that. It was the same for Tom Brady. It was the same for Peyton Manning. There's a different gravity there, but dad, when you zoom out, the larger context of the NFL this year was full of a bunch of teams in similar situations who made it work a lot better. The Steelers who made right. the playoffs, despite having one inexperienced and largely ineffective quarterback playing coordinating, then undermined by injury in the back half of the season. The Cleveland Browns went through four quarterbacks <laughs> and now are probably going to have the coach of the year and potentially a comeback player of the year nominee in Joe Flacco, who was on your team. So it's comparison is the thief of joy that ends up coming up and removing the excuse for the Jets even if the situations aren't all the way the same because you do definitely tailor more of your stuff when you've got a guy of Aaron Rodgers caliber under center you do um now the expectation was they could be a Super Bowl contending team to a seven win team because it's still on the players and and, and I will say this I said it from day one and I'll say it till the day I never speak into a microphone again you can have whoever you want on the field or whatever game plan I should say you have but it comes down to execution on the field by the players. Now, they were put behind the eight ball with not having one of the greatest ever do it uh, in, uh, in, in your uh, uh, backfield, but it still falls on players to compete. So how did you handle the strife that went on? And you're right, other teams handled it well. They go through situations as well, and you find a way to work through it. The Jets, it seemed, on the field never really were, and certainly in the locker room and on the practice field never really were.
no, it, exactly. So, uh, Jets, uh, it can't possibly be worse in 2024, can it? <laughs> There's no way it can be, right? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. The PGA Tour has officially closed a deal with Strategic Sports Group, a consortium of billionaire team owners that's going to infuse at least $3 billion into PGA Tour enterprises. Now, guys, obviously the tour has been kind of in flux, a little bit of floundering since the Saudi Public Investment Fund launched Live, poached a lot of the tour's best players. And Rory McIlroy, our man, he was once really... The poster boy for purity of the PGA Tour, speaking out a lot against Liv. He's now changing his tune a bit here for the betterment of the sport. I, I'm Obviously, I've changed my tune on that because I see where golf is and I see that having a diminished PGA Tour and having a diminished Liv Tour or anything else is, is bad for both parties. Be much better being together and moving forward together for the good of the game. Um, and that's, that's, my, that's my opinion of it. So, you know, the, to me, the faster that we can all get back together and start to play and, you know, start to have, you know, the strongest fields possible, I think is great for golf. Guys, do you think someone sat Rory down and was like, hey, we're going to need you to stop because this uh, is I happening? I, I don't think so. No, I th I think because one of the other quotes he had, I, I was reading a, a few articles about this. He said, you know, it got to where I was just banging my head against the wall. Nothing was, I, he said, I wasn't going to change anything. He was on the board. He said, I, I left the board. I said, you know what? I need to concentrate on my game. He said, what I'm saying is having zero effect. So why am I going to keep saying it? It's going to keep happening. Players are going to keep leaving. You lost the number three player in John Rahm. Uh, just, just a couple of days ago, you lost Tyler Hatton. Tyler Hatton is the 16th ranked player in the world. Tyler Hatton's career earnings are basically $12, $13 million. He got what I would consider chump change to what other guys got. He got a $60 million deal. But in one fell swoop, he got five times his career earnings 
to join Live. And and I think and now when you're talking about Live and the PGA Tour getting together, I know there's another deal with the strategic sports group that went on three billion dollars with owners from different American uh, uh, franchises here in baseball, basketball, and football. But eventually they're going to get a deal done with Live. The Live Tour though starts tomorrow in Mexico. So that's been the one thing, Mike. When you heard Rory say that last thing about I, we just want to get all the great players back together. When is that going to happen? Because we all thought back when the live season was over and we heard about this deal, we thought, okay, they're going to all get back together or they're going to be under one umbrella and everybody be hunky-dory and feel like they're playing against the best players in the world. But that's not happening right now. Live still has the tour going on. The PGA got an influx of money from another group, but they're still working with Live. So we're kind of still in the separate tour category, but a lot less people give a damn anymore. And they're like, if you're going to go take the money, go take the money. So be it. Well, I mean, this is what the Saudi you know, PIF fund was hoping for at the beginning that eventually yes. you're worn down by the sheer volume of money and the fact that it seems inevitable that in a society that lionizes capitalism, this is what always happens. This is how sports washing works. This was the original goal and it's worked for them. And Rory McIlroy is someone that did everything he could at every step along the way. And eventually he realized that big bank takes little bank every time. And that's not to say that this is some sort of win for anybody and live. It should feel dystopian because it kind of is. But yes. it's interesting now because of this deal where in this new structure, Dad, where the um, PGA Tour uh, group now that's formed, it's now a for-profit entity. And now it's allowing the players to have an equity stake in this. I saw guys like Max Homa tweeting about this the other day and the impact that that could have. And Jordan Spieth, who replaced Rory McIlroy on the board that he stepped down from when he got exhausted with all this. You know, we've already had Jordan Spieth come out and say he doesn't necessarily believe a deal with the Saudi PIF is necessary now that they've got this new strategic partnership, now that they've got this money influxed into the sport. And so that's at least one person who is in theory involved with the decision makers in this process who's saying, yeah, we don't necessarily need this, which feels like a negotiation tactic more than anything else yeah. at this. I don't think it's actually going to prevent the inevitable because as we've seen, nothing stops the money train no matter how much blood it's soaked in. But in this case, this does feel like a way for the PGA to at least try and throw their weight back at the table and see if they can make this a bit more advantageous for their side by claiming that they've got backing that can at least help them out. Right, because now what PGA players are saying are basically is, okay, if you're going to live, take your money. We stayed with the PGA. What are we getting out of it? If this whole thing gets worked out and nobody's mad at the players going to live anymore who are getting tens or hundreds of millions of dollars and we were loyal and stayed, what, what's our perk? You know, And I know the PGA is working on some things to get some extra money to some of these players, but I think the players are going to sit there and say, wait, we were trying to fight the good fight, and now basically everybody's throwing in the towel. And I, I guess, too, we, we know what Liv's ultimate goal is. Liv's ultimate goal would be to have all the top players go to Liv and Liv be the big tour, right? I don't think that's ever well, going to happen. No, Liv, I think also Liv's ultimate goal is that the PGA buys them out and they don't have to do any of this anymore. I think they would always rather be silent partners but have influence rather than have to carry the load because I don't think, Dad, there's any world where this becomes the place that people go to watch golf still. Right. We've seen I agree. It's horrific television ratings. No one knows where right. or how to find 
signed it. It's all these things that I don't think make that a realistic goal. I think the goal is always what we're going to end up getting, which is they get absorbed by the PGA. They get to have their seat at the table full of all the influence that they've been looking for without any of the actual heavy lifting. I, 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 where we disagree is I don't think they felt that in the beginning. I felt they like they could throw money at the top players and start their own tour, and it'd be more fun. You could wear shorts. We're playing music. We're going to be the tour to watch. But now to your point, they're going in their third year. Nobody knows where the hell they are. Nobody's watching them. And you have some really good players. And it's not going to get to that point. I think there was a realization somewhere along the way that, yeah, we're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to these, uh, these players. And this isn't happening the way we want it if we wanted to be the tour of choice. So I agree with you now in the fact that they would like to just work a deal and not be that 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 group that's giving out hundreds of millions of dollars to a product that nobody nobody is watching and only the players the handful of players are getting mega rich from it yeah, I, you and I are going to disagree on that because I just don't think that was ever the goal. I don't think based on any of the other PIF investments that we've seen that their goal, they've got enough money to take over pretty much anything they want to if they wanted to. And it's never been that. It's been investments in different teams that we've seen in European soccer and all that. The most we've gotten towards this is the big spending on some of the high profile names in soccer that essentially turn them into glorified PR reps for these countries yeah. here. But the goal in none of those spots has ever been to be the dominant league because I just think the goal is a little bit more calculated and always has been in that, but it's going to be interested now how far it gets here because you see a lot of quotes from other PGA players that are basically saying, yeah, Rory doesn't think that these guys should be penalized and they should be allowed to come back. But there's a lot of guys on tour and he's one, the quote I saw, uh, I want to see if I can get who this is from here, but Rory's one of 200 guys here. Not everyone necessarily feels that way about the live guys and the potential for them to come back. So at the very least, it's not as foregone as we thought it was months ago when the initial reporting came out on this. Do I still feel that ultimately this is again about dollars and cents of negotiation? Yeah, probably, but I'll be interested if enough of this rises to the top to be a significant roadblock. So I guess for the, the, majority of fans out there who don't give a damn about a lot of this they just want to see all the golfers the best golfers in the same tournament when do we think that's going to happen right because that's that's where we want to end up now right the live tour being done the if Liz in the PGA are going to merge from the player standpoint and players are going to come back you know out of live do they get the rest of their money I'm sure that'll be an interesting negotiation just on that side and then the negotiation of the PGA and live getting back to where all the top players are just on one tour again that's the ultimate goal is it not that is, uh, I mean, that'd be the ultimate goal for fans who don't care about any of this and just want to see right. their favorite golfers in one spot. But the goals now seem to be at the very least a little bit muddied for the players and the leagues involved after this latest influx of cash that comes from over on this side of the world and not the other side of the world. So lots to pay attention to there. At some point, we're going to have to get one of our golf buddies back on here to explain what the hell is going on and when it's supposed to happen. Because right now, what we thought was a foregone conclusion once again seems like it's a bunch of people spinning plates.
right, guys, time to finish off the show the way we always do, this, that, and the third. But before we get there, a reminder that we will be live in Las Vegas all next week at Radio Row in the lead-up to the Super Bowl. And we will be at a different time. 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern is when you're going to hear us just for next week. It is just a one-off because of the time change, because of where we are, and what we got going on boots on the ground there. You'll get the best of Gojo and Golik in the slot 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, where you're normally used to hearing us. But again, the new shows every day will be live on DraftKings Network from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern, 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock local out in Las Vegas. So we're looking forward to that. We're also looking forward to three quick stories to send you off on into the rest of your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Leave us that five-star rating and check us out here live Monday through Friday if you can. But if you miss it, for whatever reason, and our great guests like Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus, their lead draft analyst who joined us from down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, you can check that out wherever you get your podcasts or right here on YouTube as soon as we get done and finish the show uh guys let's get to this that the third and start with this uh, we made contact yesterday as a connoisseur of strange snacks all across this nation i finally got a hold thanks to a good fr- great friend of mine in alex mcdaniel over at for the win who was able to help me get a hold of the ding dong twinkie mashups yesterday dad i don't know if you saw this jesse i don't know if this is anything that's even i once again we've got to ask have you had either of the things that lead into this combination and if so how soon can we get one of these in your hands no i've never i've never had a twinkie or a ding dong come on jesse i I, I, gojo already i mean gojo was like yeah i know you've never had this crap i've never had it can I ask a question? Yes. How how old is your you're, you're pregnant now? You're you're gonna give birth very soon. How, yes. You have a child now. How old How old is your daughter? She's 21 months, so she's almost 21 two. months. Okay. So when your kids are growing up, remember you have not. For those that may have forgotten, she has never had a pop tart until she, until she took a bite of it on our show. Will you let your kids and will they be in the house? Pop tarts, Twinkies, ding dongs. Will those kind of things that you have never eaten be in your house for your kids to eat? They will absolutely not be in my house, but I'm not crazy. Like, if they go to a friend's house, like, I'm not gonna be like, you're not allowed to have Pop tarts or Oreos. Like, I'm not a lunatic. I'm not gonna buy it for my kids because chemicals aren't food and there's a lot of chemicals in there. And that's, if my kid wants a cookie, if they want a brownie, that's fine with me. Let's go to the bakery or let's make some cookies. No, no, let's no, no, make no, no, some brownies. No, no, not go to the bakery or go to the friend's house. What's going to be in your house for your kids to have a fun treat to snack on? If you tell me she licorice. Just said cookies and brownies. Or, cookies and brownies no, are no, fine. No, she, no, no, she said go to the bakery to get them. I want to well, know I mean, what's going to be in know, your house. Well, they're not, they don't need to eat cookies every day. Have we? Have I didn't we... say every day. I didn't say, we had cookies and all Twinkies and all that in our house when the kids grew up, and they didn't house them every day. They had them occasionally, Gojo. but they were there. Gojo. So, you know, I mean, if they're in the house, I'm going to be So be you're not even going to so have this stuff in the house. more of an impulse control thing for me. No, but I turned out great. Look at me. Get, there's plenty of snacks that you can that that can be around that do, listen I am just it's not about good food and bad food it's about food that has chemicals in it and food that doesn't well let me just say your well, kids are going to go over it, to their friends houses all the time because they know they'll get good stuff over there and not at your house so you know congratulations what? you there. can have good stuff that isn't full of chemicals I'll show you next time whatever you're in town. 
Whatever. I, I, you know what? Let's put it this way. I ate the chemicals, and this time around, very enjoyable treat. What I will say is they are much more ding-dong-covered Twinkies than they are Twinkie-filled ding-dongs, if that makes sense. Because okay, of yeah. the um, texture of the sponge cake that goes into a Twinkie, it ends up having a lot of give before you get the bite through the chocolate layer. Very enjoyable because all parties involved are good treats that I really enjoy, but it is definitely more Twinkie covered in Ding Dong chocolate than it is the other way around. So I'll say again, like we talked about the Space Oreos yesterday, whoever is in charge of putting snacks at our table on Radio Row, I would like the Space uh, uh, Oreos and I would like the Ding Dong Twinkies mashups as well. I think those would be two wonderful I, snacks. Jesse will not be there, so we won't have to worry about her, well, you know, infiltrating and eating all our snacks. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. I will say this, Dad. Mom just texted our family group chat and said, if I had a do-over on the snacks, I wouldn't have had that stuff in the house every day. So a little bit of buyer's remorse from Mom here and a little bit of a point in Team Jesse. Yeah, Did she really? What, yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. Hon, what are you doing? I mean, all our kids turned out fine. I mean, a what, ringing what, endorsement. A ringing endorsement. All our kids turned out fine. I'm sure your, ki your yeah, we kids. We did turn out fine. You know. They're great. They turned out great. But just we have more information now. Okay. That's just all I'm saying. You know who else? You know who else turned out great, Jesse? Caitlin Clark. She turned yes. out pretty great. I don't know what she ate as a kid in Iowa, so it probably has a fair amount of corn base, but Potatoes. now it's led to the point where she has moved on and added yet another historic accomplishment to her her resume. Yeah, guys, she's moved into the second all-time place for scoring in NCAA history, passing former Ohio State star Kelsey Mitchell with 3,402. She had a layup. 458 left in the second quarter. She hits it. She passes it. Pretty cool, guys. Pretty cool. She also overtook Mitchell as the Big Ten's all-time leading scorer, finishing with 35 points for her fifth straight 30-point game, matching the longest streak of her career. And next up for her, guys, she, so she has 3,424 career points. Now she's got her eyes on the NCAA's all-time scoring record, 3,527, held by Kelsey Plum. So, I mean, th so basically this, like one, four games this one's easy. Yeah. Yeah, th this one's easy, right? I mean, she has eight games left. She has to average 13 points a game to get the record. She's averaging 32 points a game. So she's going to get this record uh, pretty quickly. It's a testament to how great of a player she is. And also, gang, if you want your daughters to grow up and be great at basketball, name them Kelsey. Because the top two scorers no in NCAA history on the women's side before Caitlin Clark were Kelsey Mitchell and Kelsey Plum. So there you go. Just a, a little nugget right there. Life hack. Listen, you know what? It makes me wonder. You've already got great genes in Kylie Kelsey and Jason Kelsey coming off of them. They've got wonderful <laughs> daughters, and their last name is Kelsey. So it seems like we probably need to start buying stock now in what those young athletes will eventually become on the hoops court. So little life hack go. for everyone involved here. Don't spend all that money on a coach or AAU. Just name your kid Kelsey and prosper. It's that easy. Or Caitlin, apparently, since she's going to leave the sport as the most right. decorated scorer in the history of women's college basketball and one of the best players of all time so that's very exciting for her jesse let's get to the third here with uh something that you know we've got a lot of i think swifty fans that are around the show dad got caught up in swifty internet the other day and jake gyllenhaal's a part of the lore in a really bad way and he's added to his own personal lore in a way that sounds uh just as bad here on a recent movie set 
Yeah, I'm trying to synthesize this because it's a lot of information that I'm going to try and throw at you right now. So apparently there was a movie called Suddenly, and it suddenly didn't happen because Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal was crazy. So it was about a pair of lovers trapped on a cold island. It was supposed to shoot in Iceland in 2021. It was going to be directed by Thomas Bidigan. I don't know if I'm saying that right. He's French, would have been his first like step into Hollywood here. It was Jake Gyllenhaal, Vanessa Kirby. And apparently things just went off the rails. Jake Gyllenhaal was going to be a producer on this movie as well as starring in it. Apparently he wanted to do a scene where he got naked and jumped in the ocean and slapped a fish. He was saying that people were going to have to sleep in their cars um, on set in order to get everything done. He had a quote, allegedly, when I see the sea, I swim in the sea which is reportedly what he said when he was explaining why he wanted to get naked and jump in the water for the film. Does, you know, the movie never ended up happening because of all of this, but it's just another story of an actor, Taylor Swift's ex-boyfriend, acting a little bit crazy on set, which gives a little insight into these people's minds. Yeah, he demanded a lot of rewrites there. What you talked about, he was saying that he wanted the crew the c crew on the show uh, to sleep in their cars to prevent the set of COVID around the set here. Dad, Hollywood's a completely different animal, but for a guy that already had a low Q rating coming off the whole Red Scarf incident and the all-too-well 10-minute diss track, this isn't the kind of publicity you yeah. need out there to already lower your rating even more. No, wanted everything rewritten all the time, wanted to be an ex-soldier. But the dumbest thing... His car that drove him around, he said it could be neither white or red. That's the kind of stuff that just makes me want to look at someone and say, how, how ridiculous can you be? Seriously, how ridiculous can you be? As ridiculous as this show, download, subscribe, rate, review it. Thanks, <laughs> and we'll talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.